challenging, to me, scripture passage. Good morning. I'm reading um, 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, can you hear me well? All right, like Kurt said, this passage is an interesting one because it kind of seems like it doesn't fit in the rest of the letter. But I think that it might. In fact, I think that it's really important that it does. And actually, even just this morning, um, it illuminated for me a little bit further. So um, I, can we just pray together a little bit so that I'd be able to communicate to you all what I think uh, Peter was trying to communicate in this letter uh, through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've given to us so that we might know you and the story of your interaction with humanity. Father, we thank you for uh, the words that you gave Peter in his second letter. And Father, we ask that uh, you would help me to communicate this well by your Holy Spirit. May we all be enriched by this. And would you open the hearts of everyone in this room to your word and your will and your leading. Amen. So I think I've alluded to this before in, uh, in a sermon with you guys or even in discussion with you guys um, a bit about my past. I'm going to talk about um, a specific part of, of a story. And so I've alluded with uh, some of you in the past about uh, when I was 16 years old and I was kidnapped and held hostage. Now, after this took place, I immediately went to the police and I was able to give a testimony about what I had witnessed. 
Now, this was a very interesting moment in my life. If any of you have ever been in the position where you've had to uh, be a victim to a crime, then it's not something that's overcome quickly. But during this event, I experienced Jesus for the first time in the back of a stolen vehicle. And in that moment, he gave me the ability to recall every single detail about what was, being, what was happening to me and what was taking place during that crime. So much so that I was able to give a testimony to the police that took hours well into the night. And they were shocked at what I was able to recall. And I give complete credit to the Holy Spirit for giving me the ability to do that. Now here's the interesting thing about that experience, is that I was the sole eyewitness to the crime. There's nobody else that could testify to what had taken place. Now my story, the story and testimony that I gave the police was so vivid that they were able to go and find these guys, find all the evidence. I was able to provide details about the weapons they used, the places we went, the uh, license plate of the vehicle, the description of the vehicle, the people we met with, the places we met. Like, it was just, it was, it was a miracle. My story was so completely vivid that they were able to acquire so much evidence that when we were in the courtroom, it was, it was an easy case. And by the, end of the, by the end of the event, there was not one person in that courtroom that didn't think that that happened. So much so that even the defendant's lawyer came up to me afterwards and he told me that he was so, so very sorry for what had happened to me. Now this story is a testament of God at work in my life. But there's a greater story. The story of God at work in the lives of many. And we find his story archived in the Bible, this brilliant book that we get. The story of God at work in humanity throughout history from beginning to end. And if we understand that it is a story, then any good story has a climax. A climax that the rest of the story builds up to. And in the Bible, the climax is Jesus. Now, many people were eyewitnesses, confirming that Jesus is God. He is, in fact, the person that he says he is. And we know this because his power and glory were experienced by many. There were thousands of eyewitnesses that saw his glory manifested in miracles and how he loved people and how they experienced him. We see all sorts of accounts of this. We see stories about uh, when Jesus calmed the storm, when he was sailing across the lake, ocean, 
with his friends. And they couldn't believe that he could even tell nature, and nature obeyed. When Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, this man was lame for many, many years. And he was around all sorts of other people that were at the pool. There were witnesses to this healing. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a boy's lunch that he miraculously makes food for everyone there. There were over 5,000 people at that event that witnessed that Jesus is God. The healing of the 10 lepers. Now these people were cast out from their family, from their community. They weren't even allowed to physically touch or be anywhere near another person that wasn't infected. That must have been horrible. But Jesus came and healed them and restored them back to community. You know those 10 lepers were witnesses to that and their communities and their families as well. Jesus raised his own friend Lazarus from the dead. Now Lazarus is a witness to that. His friends and family, their community, everybody would have seen this take place after they had been mourning his death. We see his glory at the wedding of Cana, where this wedding event is taking place, and these ceremonial jars with dirty water in them get turned into wine. Now, everybody at that wedding would have seen this take place. They were all witnesses to Jesus' testimony that he is in fact God. We find in, uh, in the book of John, in uh, chapter 21, verse 25, says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, where if every one of them were to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. There are witnesses beyond any number of people that we could possibly count that prove that Jesus is God. And we read this in verses uh, 16 through 18 in our passage here, where it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now this reference to the holy mountain, we see in the book of Matthew. So not only were there real eyewitnesses to seeing Jesus being God, but God verified this and revealed it to Peter. Now, it's interesting to me that Peter recalls this passage from Matthew. 
And Peter would have known that throughout the Jewish history that God speaks on this holy mountain. This is where God gave the commandments. So what's going on here? Let's look at that Matthew passage and see if we can discern what he might be talking about. That's Matthew 17, verses 4 through 5. It says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is kind of a, a, a weird moment, I think, for Peter. And I think it'd be for us, too. If you're kind of in this holy place, and all of a sudden Jesus is there, and Moses and Elijah show up, Peter's probably like, what do I do with myself? What am I, like, what's even happening right now? Okay, let's put up some shelters, I guess, and here, let me get, you know, there's obviously something amazing and, and, and majestic going on here. Let me just, like, put my hands to work because I don't even really know what to do with this situation. And while he's all frantic and frazzled, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He's validating Jesus and his ministry and the way he is in the world. You must listen to him. There were many eyewitnesses confirming that Jesus is God. God's story supports it. So we read in verses 19 through 20 here, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Interesting. You see, thousands of years before Jesus even showed up on the scene, the prophets of God foretold his coming. And this is why the Bible is so important. Because it shows us the story of God interacting with humanity since the beginning of time. We wouldn't have that if we didn't have the scriptures. And the reason why that's so important is because it all points to Jesus. So what does that mean? We're going to find out. First, we're going to talk a little bit about the Old Testament prophecies. Did you know that there's over 300 of them that foretold Jesus' coming and that he fulfilled these prophecies? There are people that say, you know, even in the best of scenarios, somebody might be able to fulfill like 10 of those. But there's no way anybody could even fathom the kinds of things that Jesus fulfilled. Now we see some of these prophecies. Here's, here's some that I found that are interesting. Through Abraham's lineage, the nations will be blessed. We know that Jesus actually came from Abraham's lineage. The Christ will be born in Bethlehem. We know that took place. 
The Messiah will be humbled in order to serve mankind. He comes and serves people in low places, like myself in the back of a stolen car, or you in your darkest moment. He ate with sinners and rebuked the religious leaders of the day. He humbled himself because that's who he is. Jesus would become a perfect sacrifice. And we know that he accomplished that on the cross, didn't he? Christ's parables would fall on deaf ears. They still do today, don't they? Christ's ministry would begin in Galilee. In fact, it did. Christ would draw the Gentiles, the people outside the covenant, the people that weren't a part of the family, he would draw them to himself. Those were the people he spent his time with. Jesus would be despised and rejected. He was, in fact. The Messiah will bring an end to sin so that we can be restored to right relationship with the Father and with each other. We see that in Daniel. Jerusalem will rejoice as the Messiah comes to her on a donkey. He did that. Jesus will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Judas received those 30 pieces of silver on that dark night. And the stories go on and on and on and on. And here's the thing. Those stories were written before Jesus even came on the scene. It is God's story to us. And what a beautiful story it is. Many people were eyewitnesses confirming that Jesus is God. God's story supports it, and the Holy Spirit is evidence for it. Now, the Holy Spirit's primary role is to move us towards Jesus. I want to share a personal story of, uh, from our, our own marriage. Now, I'm sure that you can relate to this if you are, in fact, married or if you've witnessed a marriage. Countless times in my marriage, I've had uh, differing opinions than my wife. My natural inclination is to hold my ground, you know, and say, you know what, I'm right here. And honestly, even when I know I'm not right, I still want to do that, you know? But what the Holy Spirit active in my life does is he humbles me. He allows me to admit when I'm wrong. And even when I think that, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually right in this situation, he allows me to humble myself and give space for her opinions. 
Now, why is that so important? It's important because Robin knows that I value her, that I value her opinion, and that I believe what she says is important. So my act of humility, guided by the Holy Spirit, because this isn't my own inclination, has brought restoration to her life, has made her whole, has made her feel valued, and gives her the freedom to speak into people's lives and into our marriage. She is able to become the person God always created her to be because of the Holy Spirit active, moving me towards Jesus. Thanks be to God for this. I'm sure you guys have stories of this too, but the Holy Spirit being active in your life, and I encourage you, don't hold the man share with each other. We need this encouragement. We need to see the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. Now, in our passage... Peter said that we can be certain that this is all true because no person could conceive of this. If this were all just a clever story created by man, it would be like every other story of man, destructive in its nature. But God's restorative way in the world is in opposition to the way of man. They're on either end of the spectrum. Therefore, throughout history, God has been speaking through people and showing us the way forward. The scriptures are the greatest story ever told. The story of God interacting with us. And the climax is Jesus. Jesus' life, ministry, and what he accomplished through it will always be spoken of because he is the source of all life. It comes from him. And anyone comes to him, comes to the Father. We can know what God looks like because we have Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does what he's always done. Moves us towards Jesus. Now here's the interesting part. And this is the question that I've been asking myself for the last couple weeks. Why would Peter choose to validate Jesus at the, as the climax of God's story at this point in the letter? Why does it matter? Is he simply communicating a side thought? Is he simply communicating the authenticity of scripture? Or are they attached? Is the letter fluid? Or is it a separate thought? I do think that he is communicating the authenticity of scripture. So don't misunderstand me in that. I do think he is doing that. But I also think he's getting to something more. Now let's look at the surrounding context for a moment. Peter starts his letter by reminding us of what we have because of Jesus. That we became partakers in the divine nature. 
he reminds us of our ability to be changed to be like Jesus, which I believe is what Kurt shared with you last week. Then we have our section where Peter points everything throughout history back to Jesus. It's Jesus that changes us. It's Jesus that changes everything. It's Jesus that we aim our lives towards. It's Jesus that changes everything, and it's Jesus that we aim at. We live our lives toward. It's Jesus that the Holy Spirit is shaping us into. Now, in the section that follows our, our section, we discover what happens when we lose sight of Jesus. So we need to think about something for a moment, and we must remember, what is the purpose of the Bible? What is the reason that God spoke to the prophets? Why does he give us the Holy Spirit? Why does he give us the rich history of God interacting with humanity? Why does this all point to Jesus? Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Because without Jesus, we end up making God into our own image. And when that happens, we're all lost. Humanity's lost. So here is the warning and challenge that I want to leave you with today. It is so easy to project blame on others. He or she is too conservative. He or she is too liberal. He or she is a heretic. He or she doesn't value the authenticity of scripture. It's easy to point the finger. But here's the truth. We are all susceptible to false teaching and we are all susceptible to false living when we lose sight of Jesus. History has told us this. Christians twisting scripture to say what they want it to say have been responsible for some of the most horrific tragedies the world has ever seen. The Crusades being an example But Christians living connected with Jesus, viewing scripture through the lens of Jesus, have been responsible for the most beautiful life-giving events the world has ever seen and experienced. So for each one of us, let us look at our own lives because we are the ones responsible for them. Let each one of us, by the Holy Spirit, come back to Jesus. We need to come back to Jesus and live our lives through him. Now I want to leave you in the words of Peter this morning, so will you pray with me together? Father, may grace and peace be multiplied in each one of us. In the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus our Lord. Jesus, let us be forever changed by you, by your story. Help us to live our stories in your likeness. May Jesus come in and through each one of us. Amen.